0: I watch too many movies. I watch too much TV. You you'll style. I'm head of April. The world needs more robots. I still
1: have a page of notes. I wasn't paying attention. For lightning
0: round. No, I'm not ready. I'll just wing I'm her. in the zone. Roll for May
1: the force be with you. Classic. Whatever makes you a discerning geek. The Discerning
2: Geeks Portal. Now recording. Welcome back, discerning listeners, to another exciting episode of the discerning Greeks Portal. Greek week. Greek.
0: It's, Greeks it. Portal.
1: it's pledge week.
0: For Greeks <laughs> by Greeks. <laughs> yeah. Come on down and rush with us.
1: Is that what it's called pledge week or is it rush week? I, rush I don't week. know. I okay.
0: So
2: Pledge <laughs> Week, Rush Week.
1: Obviously, I was not in a fraternity.
2: Obviously. Discerning Geeks Portal, <laughs> where each week we take a discerning look into all things geek. And this week, I'm. That's right. not we're Delta Gamma Phi. That's us. <laughs> just, just call me David, um, but I'm going to let these other people talk because apparently I can't. Um and, uh,
1: fall, 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 fall,
0: fall. fall, fall. <laughs> Here is David, Todd, and Andrew. I am not David. I am Killbot version 7 now.
1: (laughs) And the irony of ironies is the, like, five seconds before I clicked start recording, they said, hang on, let me get my intro. I have it written down. (laughs) So I can get it right. That's a quote.
0: (laughs) Discerning Greeks Portal. (laughs) Welcome to Discerning Greeks Portal. That's right. You too can hang out with Zeus.
2: (laughs) And we do have a lead it listener or two somewhere in Greece, so there you go. That was for you. <laughs>
0: Next up, special guest, Hades. Yeah. So, Hades, how does it feel like they t- when they took your planet away? No, no, don't get pissed off. Oh, <sighs> OK. Yeah.
2: Um, so, yeah, why don't I let Todd talk and tell us what we're talking about today? <laughs>
1: okay well this is one of our special topics you know we do a lot of movie reviews but every once in a while we just pick a, a discussion topic that can be a, a broad type of thing and we're hoping to do more of those in season two we even have a random way of picking it and our first random topic was one of days and it is on sci-fi technology
0: darn dude you know
1: the, like- that's all i have to say since it's not a movie review i don't have a rundown wow this this episode is really smooth so far (laughs) our
0: our two best prep guys have already screwed up andrew it's on you and me man okay we got this okay we got this we got this yeah so basically it's it's sci-fi technology and and, you know the guys have already been like hounding me a bit because they're like like what do you mean and i'm like everything you know if there's a particular spaceship you like if is there is there a particular environment you like is there a particular weapon you know like obviously we're going to talk about lightsabers probably at some point Um, you know things like that you know that's what I meant it was just kind of supposed to be us kind of just chatting about like some of the sci-fi technology that we've seen in, in, in movies and and just going running with it and like going you know yeah I, I wouldn't mind having a lightsaber you'll poke her out yeah
2: I, I think that's the extent of my list I hadn't written down lightsabers they're cool <laughs> there you
0: go that's all you need everybody wants a lightsaber if you have the option of getting a lightsaber you'd get one that's just all there is to it why because they're awesome and they cut through everything well
2: for me it's strange because it's almost a story element and that I love how we get to have like swashbuckling space pirates and things like that because of this invention of a lightsaber, we are able to bring back and make swords cool again, you know, and the, their ability to, to turn f- blaster fire and, and, and reflect it at people. And, and it's an elegant weapon. It, it is cool. So I have to throw that out there. For more there.
0: civilized age. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's, that's a
2: big one. Um, However,
0: we have to point out the fact that the first thing Luke does when he gets a lightsaber is look right down the barrel. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> What's yeah.
0: This? And you're just kind of like, oh, please don't hit the button. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Just had to mention well, that fact.
1: I, that does make me wonder, do lightsabers have safeties on?
0: What safety would it have?
1: I don't know, but there ought to be something.
0: I mean, technically, like, <laughs> if you do look at, like, a switchblade, a switchblade doesn't always have this but a lot of switchblades do have a sliding lock and what that is is it's just a little piece of metal that you slide up and when you slide that up it won't the button won't depress so the switchblade won't come out so like if you have it in your pocket it won't suddenly open and you know you have a, a blade in your pocket that's that's open cutting through you or maybe, you know, your fingers if you stuck your hands in it. So I don't know, they might, they might have one and maybe it's all, uh, uh, well, I was about to say maybe they're bio, uh, engineered, but obviously they're not because any, any Jedi seems to be able to use a lightsaber no matter whose it was. So. yeah.
1: Well, I'm just thinking if a gun has a safety and if my hedge trimmer that I bought at Lowe's a week or two ago has, has a safety, a laser sword ought to have a, have a safety too.
0: Now, there's a good question. Do they have laser trimmers in the future? <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. I don't know.
0: Because, you know, see, that's, you know, that's, I would like to, that's what I want to see. I want to see a sci-fi reality show. I want to follow around, like, uh, six or seven crews that do nothing but lawn care for the Empire. And just, you know, you know, we got to get to the job, man. We got to get to the job. Like, Darth Vader, just lawn mode. You know, that's just what I want to see. Because I think it'd be funny as hell (laughs) (laughs) especially if they had like laser trimmers you know (laughs) okay i was totally off topic there but it kind of fits yeah
2: it's it's somehow sci-fi technology um yeah um todd why don't you get us started because i think you have a few notes um that that you can get us rolling what's what's a something sci-fi tech that's at the top of your list
1: yeah, this episode might need a little bit of structure, and if anybody's been listening to us for a while, I don't know if this will come as any shock, but I have five and a half pages of notes divided into three categories. Uh, so, <laughs> so um, and I wasn't sure how much to rattle off, but like I said, since, since this episode might need a little bit of structure, I'll list some of the things that are within my categories too. So my th- my three categories are technologies that are just plain cool. It doesn't matter whether they make sense or not, how realistic they are, they're just plain cool. Uh, The middle category is uh, technologies that are either well-made or thought out or maybe based on real or theoretical science. And then my third category is uh, technology that really opens up story opportunities. Uh, Just to list some things off from my categories for things that are cool, from Star Wars, I have droids, especially R2-D2. From Dark Matter, I have the android the Blink Drive, and Transfer Transit. I would like to talk about at least one of those in detail maybe later. From Marvel, there's the Iron Man suit and the Jarvis uh, artificial intelligence. From Firefly, there's the Serenity ship itself. And from the TV show uh, Continuum, there is Kira Cameron's law enforcement suit, which has all kinds of gadgets and special features to it because she's from the future. So those are technologies that are just plain cool. As far as well-made or thought-out technologies or things that are based on real or, or theoretical science, from Babylon 5, there's rotational gravity, star furies, and jump engines and jump gates. And I'd like to talk about at least one of those in detail maybe later too. From Star Trek, there's the Dyson Sphere from one particular episode of TNG called Relics. From the movie the martian which we reviewed in our very first episode of this podcast there's pretty much everything everything in there is at least partially based on technology that we kind of have now but it's just kind of the near future version of it Uh,
0: web? what
1: no no i didn't quite go that far (laughs) and then as far as story opportunities from star trek there's data another android Holodecks, transporters, and also from one of my favorite episodes called The Inner Light, there's the probe that interacts with Picard's brain and basically downloads an entire lifetime of experiences into his brain. And he lives this entire lifetime in just a matter of a few minutes in the real world. From Stargate, there are the Stargates themselves. Uh, and also the long-range communication stones, which is another thing I'd like to talk about. And then, uh, of course, we're going to find things from movies and TV shows that we like, but I actually picked something from a TV show that I don't like, and that is from Dollhouse. There's the personality imprinting technology that um, it's one of those things where in the show, they use it for a lot of bad reasons, but if you really think about it, it could be used for a lot of good reasons too. If I haven't, talked for too long, I think I'll pick uh, the long-range communication stones from Stargate because I really want to get that out there because I think I'm probably the only person who's a fan of Stargate
0: here. I like the movie. Uh,
1: well, well, this is from the TV show. It's something that's introduced mm-hmm. in a few episodes of SG-1, but they really explore a whole lot more in Stargate universe. They're these little black triangular stones with rounded corners that are created by the ancients, uh, also known as the Alterans. And they allow people to basically swap consciousnesses over vast distances, even multiple galaxies away. And when they're first introduced in uh, Stargate SG-1, they're not exactly used for that purpose. Jack O'Neill and this one uh, civilian who lives in Indiana they both somehow get their hands on these, uh, communication stones and they can share each other's experiences. They don't exactly swap bodies. And so this guy in Indiana can kind of, he kind of figures out what the Stargate SG one team is all about. And he kind of figures out they're real, but he keeps having visions of them. So he eventually confronts the team. He's like, I got to get these visions out of my head. And we later learn in kind of a very Jack O'Neill way that he's actually seeing visions of this guy from Indiana but it actually doesn't bother him uh, but later when stargate universe starts the stones i don't know how or why but they kind of have the second purpose of you actually swap bodies with somebody over these vast distances and allows people who are stranded on this ship called the destiny to still communicate with people back home even though they're cut off from them but the reason i counted it under the category of story opportunities is because of all the different ways that just these two seasons of Stargate universe use the communication stones. It allows people to still communicate with people back home. We also learn about different possibilities. Like if somebody is physically handicapped and they use the communication stones, If the person they swap bodies with is able-bodied, then they actually get to experience what it's like to be in the body of uh, someone who doesn't have that handicap. But then the same thing happens in reverse. If somebody's able-bodied has to be in the body of the handicapped person, it can kind of freak them out. Some people can handle it. Some people can't. Uh, We also learn what happens when an alien might intercept the connection uh, between the two bodies if they are the last person that touches a stone. We also learn what happens when something dangerous, inappropriate, or intimate uh, happens to somebody who's in somebody else's body. We also learn what happens when somebody who's using using the communication stones gets killed uh, and what that does to the connection. Uh, Also, another little complication in using these stones and being connected with somebody is that the stones momentarily lose connection when the destiny uh, enters or leaves faster than light travel. And it only happens for two or three seconds, but it's just long enough to kind of freak somebody out. If they're in the middle of using the communication stones and all of a sudden they're back in their original body and then they're back in the other person's body. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and what I listed is just kind of a sample of what they do with these little communication stones during SGU. And it's just one of those things that makes Stargate universe such a underrated show to me. It's one of my favorite shows and it sometimes is kind of the, redheaded stepchild of the Stargate universe, but I, I love it.
2: Okay. Okay. It kind of is a, I'm going to touch on something. I don't know that this falls under the technology or not, but I do find it interesting as a story element. I think if in past conversations, Todd, we've, you weren't keen on these storylines, but I always find them interesting and that's the kind of the, the sci core um, kind of elements in in some of the shows especially like Babylon 5 where you almost have this kind of enhanced psychology uh, psychological powers that that can almost be like magic and so you kind of get to carry the magic forward It's like using the force i guess in Star Wars or it's used in many different ways um but i always found those as fun elements in a story when you can kind of almost bring the the science and the manipulation to the point where it becomes almost like magical powers that the person has. So I always thought those
1: were interesting. Yeah. So I guess you're talking about what I refer to as psychobabble episodes. Yeah. You, you don't you like, them, of, like them. I <laughs> like Yeah. When you go into somebody's mind and everything is a dreamscape and, and the, the actors and characters play kind of different roles and it, yeah, I, I, I don't totally like that. Yeah. But now I, I do, you mentioned Babylon five. I do like this, the, uh, the psionic stuff, the stuff they do with telepaths and even occasionally right. te- telekinetics in Babylon 5. But I don't know if I would count that as a technology.
2: Yeah, it's it's not really. It's more of a, it, I mean, I'm sure they use kind of technology usually to get to those enhancements. It's usually kind of medicine, things like that. But it's not necessarily a gadget that gives them those abilities. Uh, I'm going to touch on one, and I know this is going to set off Andrew in a little not really tirade but in in set him up i guess in in something that he wants to talk about um in that it's a very common one of the oldest you know sci-fi um tricks or or pieces of technology and it's been done in a billion different ways um and that's the the time travel um, we have everything from what launching sleds into a concrete wall to send people back in time.
0: Um, Holy uh, crap. That's a time cop reference. You are yeah, going way back.
2: You've yeah, you got, time, well, and you've got um, Kate and Leopold. Have you guys seen that movie where he just like times those jump off of the Brooklyn bridge at certain times. And then <laughs> he, he like that. goes through like a little wormhole to go back in time. Yeah. I mean, so there's, hundred different ways to do it but of course probably the coolest tech is the tardis which is a
0: no not really
2: It's bigger on the inside and lets you travel through time is that is that
0: <laughs> time and space
2: time and space that's i think we've talked a little bit before the show you you were you're you're a doctor who fan and the, the tardis has a lot of Cool. It actually has some pretty cool plot elements that they utilize every so often. Uh, because it is bigger on the inside, then uh, they they sometimes have elements exploring the TARDIS and and it changes from doctor to doctor according to the doctor's personality, which is kind of interesting too. Uh, what what do you think about the TARDIS, Mr. Andrew?
0: It's awesome. <laughs> Period. Awesome, it's a police box that can travel in time. Now, it's a bit more complicated, uh, which is the most obscure reference
2: because we've never had police boxes in our country. (laughs) We've
0: never, (laughs) no, well, uh, not necessarily. If you go to a college campus, there's police boxes, it's not like a British police box, but it there is a box that's just for the cops. It's technically not a usually in a parking lot, whatever. Now, here's my question though. I don't think the TARDIS is actually traveling through through time. Because I think it's all Einsteinian. Because technically, if the TARDIS is as powerful as it supposedly is and could travel from one end of the galaxy to the other in like you know, just a few minutes, then that means it's getting to near light, if not also getting beyond light speed. And according to Einstein, the faster you get to light speed, the more time slows down. So therefore, is it actually traveling through time? Or is it moving so fast that literally it's either catching up or going back to certain places that are already in time? It's a time travel, but it's not really time travel. Do you understand what I'm saying? Not really. Okay. (laughs) I I I don't know. It it makes the whoosh sound. It goes through the wormhole. I I don't know. Or is it actually time traveling or is it just going to a different universe in which Victorian age is going on now? I mean, Uh, the name is Time and Relative Dimensions to saying. Was it timey-wimey? <laughs> spacey wacy? Time, yeah, timey-wimey, spacey wacy, physics. Yeah. Something like that.
1: Yeah, I'm not much of a Doctor Who fan, and I, I know that the main purpose of the TARDIS is as a time travel device, and so that's fine. But I do, I have to admit, I do like the idea of being bigger on the inside. It gets a little bit old, they keep using the joke over and over again, but I do, l- I like the concept. The problem is they don't explore the concept enough. We well, it's, always it's see the converse.
0: It's basically yeah. kind of what it is.
1: But what I mean is we only see, if it's supposed to be so huge on the inside, why is it we almost always see nothing but the control room? I only remember there being one episode where they explore other rooms in the TARDIS. And when they did, they just had to take it to extreme. And there were certain rooms that were like completely blank or, or where space looked weird. It, it's not like you could just have... Cool rooms that you could sit in. It, it's just it, it was just weirdness. Maybe uh, it's like the
0: rumor requirement from Harry Potter. Like whatever you room you need at the time. That's when you would go off and f- just go into a room and it would have what you needed. Uh huh. I don't know. But speaking but of spaceships,
2: just... yeah,
0: go ahead. You know, there's famous ones. You know that we all love. You know the Millennium Falcon, etc so forth. But you know, I actually really enjoy one that doesn't get a lot of screen time and I don't really know why I particularly like it, besides the fact that I think it just seems functional to me. And that's actually the Sulaco from Aliens 2. The design of that ship just, to me, it's perfect, because this is supposed to be a military vessel uh, carrying a bunch of Marines to, like, go to the... Homeworld for to check out what happened to this colony. And I'm looking at the ship, and it it, to me, it just seems like it fits. And it's one of the few ships that I have seen that seems to fit its role on what it's supposed to do perfectly. Uh, It looks like it's armored, it looks like it has a lot of communication device, but it looks like everything's kind of protected. You see rail guns on it, and it's not a lot, but you do know you do realize that they're massive, that, that, you know, like when you see this thing fly by, there's like one huge turn underneath and like one huge turn on top. And you're sitting there thinking, yeah, it wouldn't take a lot. All you got to do is pretty much just break something up. I really enjoy the Sulaco and I, I I enjoy, the industrial feel to it which is why probably why i'm always a a a far greater fan of star wars than star trek because star wars is dirtier it's grittier and i know that the empire has like all these black and white so they're trying to be very clean and what have you but even it has this industrial feel to it this this kind of heaviness to it that to me makes more sense uh when you're building things like this and i don't know it's 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 just one of those things so i really enjoy the sulaco spaceship
1: is it just me or does it shape kind of like a gun
0: yeah i mean it, it it's 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 and i think that's the reason maybe that was on purpose but like i said it's, it's supposed to be a military vessel and so it's one of those where I, it fits its role i think very well in the fact that I can totally believe that 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 if we were like well we've got to make a warship for space that that's probably a good idea on, on on how it would look
1: well I'm looking at it now online and one thing that bothers me about ships no matter how cool they are in overall shape and I'm talking about from any universe Babylon 5 Star Trek whatever some ships have little skinny bits and little bits and pieces that stick out. And it doesn't totally make sense why they stick out. Now this Laco mm. has a little bit of that, but it's mostly antenna type stuff. But when it comes to the basic overall shape, it's kind of uh, tight. It's not, it doesn't have a whole lot of bumps and protrusions and skinny sections. It's, it's pretty bulky. It, it's not a total brick, but you can tell it's well armored and it does have that kind of tough, rugged look to it.
0: Yeah. I mean, of course, now granted, nothing will ever be the greatest spaceship ever. And you guys know what I'm talking about. And I'm not talking about the Millennium Falcon, which is very, very close. But that's not the greatest spaceship ever. The greatest spaceship ever was the Yamato from Star Blazers. (laughs) That is the greatest spaceship and sci-fi tech ever. (laughs) Is to take a sunken Naval vessel, (laughs) stick a huge gun in the front of it, slap some rockets on it, weld a few plates over some holes, make it airtight and send it off into space. That is the greatest spaceship ever. Never seen that movie. It's it's actually a series. I think there's a movie, but it's actually a series.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, All Star Blazers.
0: Um... Star Blazers. And the gun never worked. It worked in episode one. They used it once and then they spent the next, like, what, (laughs) three seasons (laughs) trying to get the mega gun to work to the point at one point that there's actually they decided to just use the space as a cafe. So, like, you have all this, you have this huge, like, gun barrel that's, like, open to space and everybody's just sitting in there drinking coffee. It's great
1: yeah I think I remember reading that somewhere and wasn't there one episode where they had to fire it and they were like everybody clear out
0: Yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> I can't remember if it was the finale or if it was close to it or it was getting close to the finale but yeah at, at some point like the poor like engineer that had been like banging on this giant gun forever finally figured out like how to fix it and Yeah, they were getting ready to, like, like somebody showed up, and they were like, "Uh, no, we can actually shoot the gun. And, yeah, like, the guy was like, we're getting ready to fire the, I forgot what they called it, you know, the mass accelerator gun. Uh, You have 15 seconds. And, like, the whole cafe is full, and you just see people scatter.
2: So I will say, because I think you mentioned it, Todd, I will never forget watching um, Babylon 5 and the first time, they had like the little space furies flying out. Mm-hmm, that's one of my favorite. And you know, just flipping around in space. It was kind of like, wow, how come nobody's done this before? Yep,
1: <laughs> yeah, yep, yep.
2: that that actually makes sense with the physics of space. Why are we right. like treating them like jet fighters well, in space? Well, hey, it, it <laughs> took mm-hmm. seven
0: seven seasons before Star Trek realized that space was three dimensional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: um. yeah, so j- j- just in case anybody doesn't know what you're talking about out there, so a lot of times when you see uh, little tiny fighter craft, um, or, or sometimes even big craft... Fly through space, it's almost like they're flying through an atmosphere, and they still do the banking right and the banking left and, and loop-de-loops and stuff like that. But Star Furies in Babylon 5, they're kind of like X-Wings from Star Wars, except at the end of their wings, they have uh, engine exhausts. And each each of the four wings has four engine exhausts, and they're all pointed different directions. and allows the craft to be very maneuverable. And the show also obeys, I think you would refer to it as Newtonian physics, basically the idea that in space there's a vacuum, you don't have atmosphere, so you don't need wings, and there's no air pressure, there's no no such thing as lift, and you also have inertia. So let's say that uh, a Star Fury is... Being chased by somebody, it wouldn't bank left, bank right, or do a loop-de-loop to to fire at the ship behind it. All it would do is fire its engines in opposite directions, which would turn it 180 degrees on its axis. It would then fire the engines again to stop. It would then uh, fire its weapons to shoot at the thing behind it. And it would keep going the opposite or the direction it was going, which means it's kind of uh, moving in reverse. And then it would fire its engines again to correct itself and, and start moving forward again or or to be pointed in the direction it's already going, which is forward. I've always kind of respected, like you said, the way Babylon 5 handles things like that. And if I remember correctly correctly either NASA or JPL or some other space organizations has actually approached J. Michael Straczynski, the the creator of Babylon 5, and asked him if they could use that design for some real-life future spacecraft. And if so, I think he agreed as long as they named them Star Furies. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And the Colonial Vipers from the newer Battlestar Galactica, I think, do maneuver in similar ways. The problem with them is that all of the thrusters are closer to the body of the ship because they're still kind of uh, pointy, long and pointy type ships. And um, and the cockpits are closer to the back. So when the Colonial Vipers do this same thing where they use the thrusters to to change direction real quick, it's kind of more chaotic looking. It doesn't look like a ship just spinning on an axis. It looks like it's kind of tipping over or something. So it doesn't the Colonial vipers they they obey the same physics but they just don't look as good doing it.
2: I got you. Yeah. Yeah, the that was momentous when we got to see that in Babylon 5 and and it kind of changed that whole way of thinking of space combat and and that kind of thing. So I was that's one of my favorite ships. What else? What else we got? What what other kind of tech do do you guys like? I'm not a fan of blasters or laser guns or anything like that. To me, it's just still another gun. Um, There there doesn't seem to be that much.
0: There's a few honorable mentions, you know, like Mando's uh, rifle is pretty neat. You know, the disintegrator gun. Uh, I mean, that's pretty cool. Uh, But it's, it has to be those kind of like, you know, honorable mentions of, of being a, a specifically awesome gun. And there's not a lot, you know, because, yeah, blasters are blasters, you know.
2: I mean, I will throw out there something that I think is cool. I don't know that it was done well in the movie. Hopefully we'll get a chance to to review this movie. I know it's on the list somewhere. The personal shields in Dune. Um <laughs> Yeah, they,
0: they, they were awkward and kind of they were weird awesome and yet stupid at the same time it was very but, impressive
2: but this is awesome tech I mean this is tech that makes sense to have in the future Yeah, you know oh hit a button and I've got my own shield and now if you shoot at me it's going to bounce off, you know,
0: (laughs) which which also brings up one of the special guns, because evidently, you know, uh, uh, there's always been this ancient uh, rivalry between defense and offense. And so, uh, for example, in that film that you see guys beating the crap out of dudes with personal shields on, and then a guy shows up with a with a blasting rifle or, or a rifle that somehow evidently fires a slow bullet that's designed specifically toward this, which Brings up a problem, because I do want to mention the fact that the personal shields are, uh, that we saw were, like, attached to, a, like, a belt, and you kind of slapped <laughs> it, and it, and it enveloped you. And my question is, is uh, there's, uh, the, the guy that got killed by the slow bullet, how do you bury him? Do you just wait for the shield to run out of battery power, then <laughs> you pick him up and put him in the coffin, or do you just kind of throw him in the ditch with the shield on and just go, he'll be fine?
1: Actually, it's funny you mentioned the personal shield thing. There's an episode of Stargate Atlantis where one scientist kind of accidentally finds this this personal shield technology kind of like that. And it's something that attaches to his chest and it just creates kind of a bubble around him. And at first it's kind of a neat discovery. And he's like, hey, look what I found. And everybody's like, oh, that's cool. But the problem is it forms such a complete shell that he can't touch it. No, he can't touch the device, and so he can't pull the device off, and so he's stuck with it. And eventually, (laughs) he has to use the bathroom, too, and he just has to hold it. And I can't remember how they eventually get it off, but it it, it kind of provides for a little
0: bit of humor. So there are some things where it's like, uh, this is obviously a last resort type of thing. It's like, well, there's a lot of problems with this thing you know, if you really want to think about it. But I understand what you're saying, Dave. Yeah, that's pretty cool, the whole personal shield thing.
2: I'm kind of surprised or maybe, I don't know, I I guess I'm interested to hear your guys' opinion. I haven't heard anything yet about, like, cloaking technology.
1: Hmm, I hadn't thought about that.
2: It's... just not that impressive. I mean, we kind of now have, like, stealth technology, which is a very Mm. primitive form of, you know, what would be kind of cloaking technology. Um, But what you guys,
0: what do you, I mean? Not something. Yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's it's cloaking always denotes spying and and kind of being sneaky, and I wasn't really what I was thinking about when I was thinking about sci fi tech because you know it's one of those where that's a clandestine type technology. Okay,
1: I guess it is an interesting technology. Star Trek obviously has it with the Romans and the Klingons. I think there might be cloaking technology somewhere in the Stargate TV universe, but I I can't remember exactly which race uses it. And then I'm trying to think, isn't there another TV show where there's some cloaking? Wars actually
0: has cloaking technology because there's actually references in the films about how like no ship that small has a cloaking device. And then in the actual Clone Wars series, there actually is a few episodes that deals with a ship that cloaks. Um, but that's as far as it's gotten in Star Wars. There hasn't been another, there hasn't been an explanation, but obviously there must be a size thing to it in which cloaking technology evidently needs so much energy to actually work that a ship like the Millennium Falcon would not have it because even as awesome as the Millennium Falcon is, it, it can't provide enough power to move and have a cloaking device. So it has to be a larger vessel. Um, so it's mentioned, but it's evidently not cost-effective in the Star Wars universe. I guess is basically the best way to to say it. Um, yeah, I can't remember if Firefly had any or not. No, no, no. or not Firefly. Uh, crap, I always get that one confused with the other one I'm thinking about. Um, it has been used in different. Yeah, you know, the the ways. one with the living ship. What was it called? Farscape? Farscape. Was Farscape the one that they had cloaking? cloaking?
1: I don't think so. Uh, But I'm not a Farscape expert.
0: Well, I'm not either. I, I just enjoyed some of the episodes, but...
1: Now, I did think of one piece of technology that draws together several things we've talked about, and that is the Wave Rider from DC's Legends of Tomorrow. That is a ship that travels through space and time and does have a cloaking device because they kind of need it because when they go back in time, they don't want to reveal this ship, this technological ship to people in the past, so it cloaks too.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's still fun tech, but, you know. It is what it is. Now, some of the tech that I also like isn't hasn't actually been shown yet. Well, it kind of has, but but not in any most movies anybody would do. Like I really love. Most people would probably say Robotech, but I'm really much more of a Battle Tech yeah. um, fan. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, partly that is is it's not necessarily the the whole offset of of Japanimation type look and a more robotic look. I guess this is basically the the big difference between the two. It's just that. Battle mechs, uh, from a lot of the books and the game that we used to play back when we were kid, when we were younger. Um, in fact, I still have like all my models. It just, to me, it just fit better because when you built, you could build your robots with the game and the creation system that you had to build the robot. Uh, actually, gave you options on different ways of powering and uh, et cetera, Because most of the battle mechs were, were of course, powered by a fusion engine, which allowed you to have like all this power and 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 what have you. But there were actual rules to where you could put a diesel engine in it, which was something not typically in a war fighting battle mech, which is what we mostly played. But if you read some of the stuff on it, you would you would see battle mechs not just being used for war they were also lots of times used for farming and typically these farming mechs because they didn't require the power to like shoot weapons would have diesel engines in them and i always thought that was funny about how it would be kind of funny one day to have uh, a, a feud between like the space hatfields and the space McCoys and <laughs> and like they got gotten their farming mechs and started beating the crap out of each other and, and they'd have like, you know, big diesel engines in them and and you know going at each other with like, you know, hay bales and stuff like that.
2: Well I mean we even get to see Kind of a slight version of that kind of technology and what, aliens, right? Isn't that what she climbs in in the end? Well, the
0: loader. Uh, yeah, and then you got yeah. things like Pacific Rim. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you want to talk about pure robots, though, I have to go out on the limb again and tell you again that the greatest robots ever were the robots in Ice Pirates. <laughs> <laughs> if you've never seen Ice Pirates, you need to go see this film. There's oh, one wow. that I constantly quote because it's just great because the engineer in the pirate ship is working on like their battle bots. Cause they, they don't just board with people. They also board with like fighting robots. But what's funny is the people will have laser blasters. The robots just carry like swords and axes and all, and <laughs> things like this, but it's just so hilarious because at one point he's working on this one robot and the captain comes along and goes, um, is there any particular reason why he's black? And the engineer who's black goes, yeah, I wanted to be perfect. <laughs> this is such a great, I'm, I, it's so stupid, it's good. You know, it's one of those things. It was, that was a good movie. But then, of course, you have things like, uh, uh, I love Cylons. I love the idea of of a cybernetic, and I, I have to assume that, because there's not a lot of history with the, with the Cylons, besides the fact that they supposedly were built, and then they rebelled against their their human builders and decided that the human race did not deserve to live um uh, but the Cylons were obviously a cybernetic race that had become sentient. Uh, and I, lo- and I'm talking about the old Cylons. I'm not talking about the new ones. The new ones suck. The, the, but the old Cylons, the old <laughs> you know, the, I'm sorry. They're just, they're just awesome. Uh, but then of course you have things like data. I have to agree with Todd data as an Android is, is awesome. Uh, the robot from, from, uh, lost in space, you know, <laughs> danger. Robot was in danger. Um, is awesome. Uh I'm trying to think, what's some other good robots that um, besides R2-D2 and C-3PO that go without saying?
1: Um... I'm not positive. Oh,
0: I have to share this real quick. Sorry, Todd, I did not mean to jump in. I watched the, the latest episode of The Bad Batch and at one point in the ship is the little girl and the gonk droid okay they have a gonk <laughs> droid in the ship and if you don't know what a gonk droid is a gonk droid is was the droid that was just basically a box with two feet under it if you've watched any star wars film you know what robot this is well at one point she goes quick hide and she dives like out of the way because people are boarding on the ship and the gonk droid kind of panics you can see it kind of like shaking back and forth trying to figure out what to do and all of it all, all of a, all of a sudden it just stops and it drops to the ground so it looks like a box and I'm like that is the smartest gong droid ever <laughs> Sorry, Todd. I didn't mean to interrupt, but it just popped in my head when I was talking about robots.
1: Well, you mentioned R two D two. I was just going to say I'm not positive, but R two D two might be my favorite Star Wars character. And it's weird to say that because you look at him and he shouldn't be a character, but he is. Yeah, and, that, yeah. and that's that's kind of the magic of R two D two.
0: R R2 two is 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 a great, interesting character and great, interesting tech, uh, especially when you start delving all the way back from the very beginning of the films because. R2 is the only character with the exception of maybe Chewbacca that knows what the heck happened from the beginning to the end, because he never had his mind wiped. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And so, you know, it's one of those where maybe that's why in the latest films, he's getting slower because he's starting to, his memory bank's filling up. He's like, okay, look, (laughs) we got to get rid of some of this crap.
2: So let me, I want to just brief question and see how yeah. you guys feel. Cause we've talked about androids. Um, and sci-fi does a very good job. Sci-fi movies, things like that. Cylons are a good example. Of course we have the, the terminator um, of showing you kind of the good and bad of, of what that technology can do. Right. Mm. We have things like data, which we know could be very helpful and, and, you know, how many times would the Enterprise have just completely been destroyed or, or not survived if he hadn't been there to, to calculate everything or to do things that he could do just because he wasn't human? And then you have the flip side of the androids taking over, going against the humans. Mm-hmm. What's, what's your thoughts? Is this a technology that we should be exploring more? Or... Is this one that we should keep hands off and you know
0: try to avoid? Well, it's kinet. not the Android that's the problem.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: It's not yeah, the Android that's the problem. It's the artificial yeah. intelligence that's the problem.
1: Oh, oh, okay.
0: That's because, not where I thought you were going with that. Oh, what were you thinking? We're the problem. It's the program. Well, now, well, that's problem. Well, yeah, always they, yeah technically, all, right? that's that's still true because it's it's who makes the artificial intelligence. Because, for example. We've actually had this discussion before, and I know we have spent we've gone till four o'clock in the morning talking about this one particular topic. Um, because we've I think we've all kind of finally agreed that Isaac Asimov had it right that if you do invent an AI, you have got to put a hard line programming in there, um, of like certain laws, uh, for, you know, and and the best ones we have ever really come across have come across that make the most sense are the ones that isaac asimov the the guy that that created this whole idea of of an artificial intelligence and a and a, and a robot as a character um came up with which is the first one is uh, a robot is to protect its own existence um and then the second is uh no excuse me the first one is uh, a robot will protect all humans yeah uh the second is um uh, a robot must obey uh, uh, all no, excuse me, the second one is a robot must protect its own existence and then the third one is a robot must obey all human commands as long as it does not violate rule number one or rule number two and it's only in giving the artificial intelligence a hardline moral fiber can you protect yourself from what will eventually happen because you cannot deny that artificial intelligence is going to do exactly, because if you create an intelligence, it's going to do what humans do, which is grow and learn on its own and come to its own conclusions. And I don't think anybody really can argue too much that, uh, that an artificial intelligence is not going to realize that humans are very self-destructive. And and that's actually one of the interesting things about the movie, like, iRobot. Uh, in which the androids that are that have decided to take over humanity are actually doing it for a noble reason it's not like they're power hungry and they and the humans are are inferior no because they are designed to protect humans the artificial intelligence has come to this uh, crazy idea that in order to protect humans they have to protect humans from themselves and so that's why they're taking over and enslaving on the humans to keep them safe
2: so yeah just so I can, Make sure I clarify. I want to make sure I get it right because this is Isaac Asimov's words, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So, the
2: first law a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Thank you. Second law a robot may must obey the orders given it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law.
0: Raw, right, yeah, yeah
2: third law a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first and second laws so yeah we had them right um but i just want to make sure we got the
0: word right because worded right for our listeners out there i had two and three mixed up
2: oh yeah there are elements that we we have to be careful of going back to again, Mary Shelley Frankenstein, right? You know, if we're going to create life in some way, shape, or form um, through this robotics and things like that, then, you know, there's a responsibility that we have to take for that. And are we capable of that responsibility, I guess, would be my question. And I think one we haven't heard from, and I may have to like nudge him real quick and wake him up, but our, our head of HR, Andrew. What do you think about these robots?
0: What? What? <laughs> oh
1: my goodness. Yes and no. You weren't paying attention.
0: I I heard head of HR. Then I heard Andrew. <laughs> then I heard robots.
1: Yeah.
2: So yeah, we're we're having a whole conversation. It's a podcast that you get to be a part of, and and, and you know, in that podcast, we talk about things, and then you contribute. Um, what? So. We're, we're talking about robots and whether it's a good thing to pursue them or not. Um, oh, it's horrible. So you're a Skynet person?
0: The entire economy is going to crash if you had robots because that includes AI. And then you can develop an AI for anything. And then you might think to yourself, no, art. But, I mean, you could get an AI to analyze different art pieces and then create something unique. So... You literally, there would be no point to human life at all.
2: So now one of the theories that goes along with Star Trek is that, you know, once you're able to free up the human person by handing over so much of this production and things like that to the AI and to the robots, then man could go to the stars and conquer the world or conquer the universe, you're, you're not of that mindset you think you're more of the the wally where we would just go to space and become big fat lazy things
0: yes what what <laughs> wow just just wow i had to do something i'm sorry uh uh-huh. sure you did <laughs> now granted i would actually uh like to at one point we will actually talk about this. We can't talk about it now because it doesn't involve in the topic, but uh, I got to thinking about Star Trek universe and I realized that it's, it's a fascist society. Okay. I, I will, I will, I will continue to, to think on my argument, okay. but uh, <laughs> I actually think Star Trek's uh, worldview is evil. I don't watch Star Trek, so I wouldn't know.
2: So we're kind of running into our, our, our time limit. And I don't want to cut anybody off, but I want to make sure that everybody gets an opportunity to talk about their, their, their favorite texts. If they have one, um, do we have any that we haven't really talked about or explored that we really, really want to, um, as we kind of start closing out this conversation.
0: Todd's the one that had the list.
2: I was kind of surprised he didn't have the holodeck on there either.
1: Greetings discerning listeners. This is Todd, the editor cutting in briefly I had audio issues around this time in the recording, so I wasn't able to respond to Dave's comment. While I didn't go into detail, holodeck technology actually was in my list that I went through earlier. And then as far as story opportunities from Star Trek, there's Data, another Android, holodecks, transporters, and also from one of my favorite episodes called The Light. Since I wasn't able to elaborate about holodecks during the recording, I'll do so in a couple minutes after we hear a little bit more from Dave and Dave.
0: Uh, to
2: me the holodeck is just a story element
0: i don't know that's one of those weird things because supposedly if i remember correctly if you watch all the star trek uh, uh stuff it came down to uh there was a favor done at some point with with a particular alien race and they offered a gift of technology to like the federation but the klingons had helped too and so they offered tech to them as well, and the two choices ended up being cloaking technology and holodeck technology. And we ended up with holodeck technology, and the Klingons ended up with cloaking technology. And you you're just sitting there, kind of going, "Wait, what? <laughs> you picked you picked the 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 intergalactic kegger over the yeah. whole. <laughs> you can't find us. All right, whatever. See,
2: I I were. I find the holodeck interesting, but I think an element that they didn't nearly explore enough with that is, I think they miss how addictive that could be and how, I mean, if you just think about it, I mean, today people get lost watching TV and, oh, it's three hours later. And look, where did my day go? If you had this holodeck or all these holodecks on a ship, I I wonder how much work would actually get done. People would be like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't show up for my shift. I was just on the holodeck and, you know, 20 hours went by and I thought I was just, you know, going to be in there for an hour. And I think it gives the people a little bit more control than what they would have with such technology. Uh, But that's just me.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, they they did go over that in a couple in in Star Trek Generations. You know, there was that one guy that just kept spending all of his time in the holodeck and what have you. But we need to actually like um, uh, pause for a minute here because uh, our buddy Todd has uh, gotten lost. And so we'll be right back.
1: And I'm back. Before we return to the recording, I have a few quick examples of how the holodeck or holosuites, as they're called on Deep Space Nine, are great tools for storytelling. Dave and Dave already addressed the character of Lieutenant Reginald Barkley, who did kind of get addicted to the holodeck for a while. That story is a little bit more complicated because he was using the holodeck as a misguided means to deal with extreme social anxiety. Geordi one time used the holodeck to communicate with a simulation of one of the Enterprise's primary engineers to help get the ship out of a bad situation. A season later, he meets the real person, and she's not exactly as the holodeck depicted her. During a simulation of a Sherlock Holmes mystery, a misspoken parameter by Geordi gives the Holmes nemesis Moriarty knowledge of the real world and his own nature as a holodeck facsimile. Moriarty uses his knowledge to almost take over the Enterprise, and he makes an unexpected reappearance several years later. The holodecks are often used for general relaxation and recreation. We often see Picard take on the role of pulp novel detective Dixon Hill. They can be used to recreate special events like a Klingon Rite of Ascension ceremony Worf partakes of in Season 2. And when one cast member left the show in Season 1, the character's funeral occurred on the holodeck. On Deep Space Nine, Cisco and his son Jake frequently play baseball in the holosuites and in one later episode get the senior staff and several civilians to form a baseball team for competition. The crew also frequently visit Vic Fontaine's Las Vegas Lounge in the Holosuites and at one point have to dress up as 1960s characters and perform a heist in order to save Vic's lounge from bad guys. This is just a handful of examples of how useful holodecks are as a storytelling device, somewhat unique to the Star Trek universe. Okay, back to the recording.
0: And we're back!
1: <laughs> Sorry, that was my fault this time.
0: hmm that yeah. is true. In our quest for science fiction technology, Todd kicked the cable out.
1: Almost literally.
0: All right, so what were we talking about?
2: <laughs> science technology.
0: Science Todd's, technology.
2: Or science fiction technology, something right. like that. Um, Todd, I think you had a couple you wanted to
1: mention. Yeah, one I... Yeah, one I thought of recently that is kind of unique is from the TV show Dark Matter. You and I have talked about that before. Oh, it lasted show. for yeah, it lasted for three seasons on Netflix. It got canceled on a on a cliffhanger. Super cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah. But there's something that is introduced in the middle season called the blink drive. And I thought that might be kind of interesting because you know, every sci-fi franchise has its own way of traveling faster than light and sometimes they have all kinds of scientific explanation for it and sometimes they kind of skip that but it's kind of necessary you got these vast distances in space and if you're going to have a space opera show you've got to be able to get to places well dark matter also has faster than light travel and they don't bother explaining that too much but you still have to do what you do in typical franchises where you still have to move through hyperspace but in season two, they introduced this thing called a blink drive, which allows you to basically just like it implies blink from one place to another. You don't have to move at all. You just, you disappear from one spot you appear in another and it can go. I don't know if they say that there's a, a maximum range to it, but you can practically move across the galaxy with this thing. And that by itself is kind of unique. I guess the, the jump technology and the new Newer Battlestar Galactica kind of works like that because you don't have to really be moving; you kind of jump from one spot to another. But there, there's kind of a range, so you have to do multiple jumps and stuff like that just to get wherever you're going. The blink drive you can do short distances, long distance and you can do it instantaneously. But the other cool thing about it is how it does it. You might think that this has to be some kind of really complicated engine system that is installed throughout a ship. But it's something that interacts with existing Faster Than Light technology. And so the Blink Drive really only has two components. It's got a little key card that I guess has maybe some of the software or some of the clearance to to use the Blink Drive. And then this little thing that is an adapter, and it's basically the size of a briefcase. Now, you do have to go to a little bit of effort to kind of install this adapter into the existing Faster Than Light engine of a ship. And there are also consequences. If you don't configure it right, you could end up in an alternate universe instead of traveling to a different place in space within your own universe. Basically, you punch a hole in space time and you end up somewhere else. And I I actually rewatched a few episodes recently, including that one. And so it's pretty cool how that happens. And I haven't gotten to this episode yet, but apparently there's this other thing that can go wrong with a blink drive where you end up in a pocket universe that gradually shrinks. And if it shrinks too much, then you end up basically ceasing to exist. So the blink drive is this cool thing where part of it almost sounds too easy, but then there are these consequences too that you have to avoid. So even though it's this kind of imaginary technology that is super convenient, you have to to use it right. And the other cool thing about it is because it is so compact, it's portable and therefore also capable of being stolen. And so you have all these uh, mega corporations that exist in the dark matter universe that are competing for this thing. And of course our main characters get a hold of it. And so it kind of puts them at an advantage and, then that gives them some clout with with different organizations. And so uh, it's one of those things that provides a lot of uh, story opportunities. And there was this one piece of technology from the Dark Matter universe that I'd kind of forgotten about until I started rewatching those episodes, and that is Transfer Transit. And it's this way that you can basically visit far-off places without actually going there. And what happens is you, in your own body, go into this thing that looks almost like a tanning bed. In fact, that's probably what they use. They probably uh, <laughs> use tanning beds as the props and, and made them look futuristic. But you lie in this in this transfer transit thing and it reads your DNA and your brain scans and stuff like that. And then in this other location that also has this booth or transit, transit thing, whatever you want to call it. And it kind of creates this clone of you and it downloads your... your um, or uploads your memories and your consciousness into this clone. And so your clone gets to go off and either have a vacation or gather evidence or, or investigate something or do whatever it needs to do in this other location. And then when it's done, it goes back to the booth, uh, and it gets broken down and recycled into its core components it's whatever experience it had in this other location and gets transferred back to your real body. And then you step out of this tanning bed looking thing and you have uh, the memories. And the reason that that uh, opens up all kinds of story opportunities is there are all kinds of ways that you can kind of travel vast distances without going there in a ship. There's one particular uh, bad guy lady in the show and she always transfers or travels this way. And so she's her own body is never at risk from people who might want to do her harm because she's always traveling by clone. There's also this thing where if your clone gets killed, well then any memories or experiences it had that you might want to get back in your real body, get lost. You know, if the, if the clone doesn't get back to the booth in time before it gets killed or, or before it it runs out of time, because I think the clones might have a time limit before they kind of break down, then those experiences are lost. Also, if you do have somebody who transfers their uh, this way or travels this way, because it's a clone and it's going to run out of time anyway, it's considered to have less value than a real person. And so there might be times where you might be traveling someone and your friend or ally might have a reason to kill your clone so that they don't get captured or, or, or whatever, but it doesn't matter because they're not killing the real you. So there are all kinds of moral and ethical questions that might come into play. So, uh, so yeah, I was, I had forgot about that technology, but, but, Dark matter is just full of these little neat little things in it that, that bring up all kinds of neat story opportunities. And we talked a little bit about androids. There is an Android on the ship in dark matter. Some of the things about her consciousness and, uh, and the ability to uh, uh, imitate human behavior is also kind of explored with that character. But one thing that kind of separates her from data from star Trek is that she is wireless. She can wirelessly control the ship. And I think they tried to explore that with data in one episode of next gen. And one of the later episodes where they tried to say, Hey, he's an Android and he's technology. And so is the ship. Why don't we try to find some way that data can control the ship directly. And then something went wrong with it. And they never explored it again, but it's like it, Actually, a core function of Android from Dark Matter that she can control the ship wirely. There's lots of times where she's saying, "I'm raising shields," "I'm firing weapons," and all she's just all she's doing is standing there. She's not typing, pressing any buttons or anything. She's controlling the ship with, with her own brain. So, uh, so yeah, Dark Matter is one of those things that if somebody likes sci-fi technology, it, it's a good show to explore.
0: So, so basically, you have uh, a nitrous booster and three D printing of people.
1: Yeah, 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 sort of, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Sort of. It's exactly what it is.
2: Yeah. Uh, didn't they also have a sex bot in Dark Matter at one point? Yes. Uh-huh.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is what people would be doing with the holodeck. Sorry. It's just, they just would Dave. That's the first thing do. Well, this
2: is why I'm saying that there would sadly be people that you just would never see again. They would just, mm-hmm. like, go and that would be their whole world.
0: Where's Bob? Um, He's in the holiday. Yeah. Uh, How long has he been in there? 14 days? Uh,
2: <laughs> the sex bot, you know, is a real thing, sadly. As a, you know, there's actually studies of kind of decline in Japanese dating because of some of these sex robots
0: well well, why date someone when you could just program what you want it's for science uh, (laughs) that's what it that's what it's for
2: i'll throw out a really old movie that probably none of you have seen which was cherry 2000 which was a really good movie about you know a guy going into the badlands to uncover a to a model of 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 sex robot basically (laughs) Um, but it's a good Uh movie uh uh-huh. It was, it, it was a really good movie, and it's not that kind of movie. I mean, was this
0: was this a USA Up All Night film?
2: Uh, no. I mean, this was wow. this was an actual movie, and and that's it's not. You know,
0: hey, USA Up All Night. <laughs> they, they showed real movies too. They were just interesting because usually most of them had a gratuitous breast scene, which was what made it awesome. But hey, yeah, I
2: don't, I don't even anyway. think I don't even think this had that in it. Wow, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah. Oh,
1: and I think I cut out a few minutes ago when you guys were talking about Android stuff. Another show to check out if you want to get into the whole idea of Androids developing consciousness and stuff like that. Check out uh, Humans. Have you guys ever heard of that?
2: I have heard of it, and I, I but I haven't watched any of it. I know you've mentioned it, but I haven't actually, that's not one that I've gone back and watched.
1: That is yet another show that lasted three seasons and ended on a cliffhanger. Uh, because it got canceled and I think it came on oddly enough, AMC in our country. I think it was a, it was, oh, actually in Britain, it was a channel four show because it's a British show. So it's channel four there. It was AMC here, but yeah, that was a really good show because it explores all kinds of stuff about, uh, about Android's kind of gaining sentience. And what, what's that, what that's like and what kind of impact it has on, on humanity and they fight for the freedom and stuff like that. And it gets, it gets complicated, but explores a lot of those moral and ethical issues on, was this a good idea and, and stuff like that.
2: Well, guys, it is about that time that we have to begin to wrap up this episode. I don't think, are we going to have a lightning round? I guess we have to have a lightning round. I don't think we need Uh, to. No, but I was thinking we would pick the next big topic. We do need to pick the next big topic. Um, Before we do that, I do want to go ahead and ask our audience out there to do us a favor and hit the like button or subscribe button. And let, of course, the biggest thing that they can do to help us out is just let other people know, hey, go listen to this podcast, the Discerning Geeks Portal. They talk about all kinds of cool stuff like teleporters and robots and cool movies.
0: We didn't even talk about teleporters. We didn't talk about repulsorlift <laughs> vehicles, anti-gravity, none of that crap.
2: Like us, follow us, however you listen to your podcast. Um, f- make sure you check out our Facebook page. If you follow us there, you'll get some emails or or you'll get to see whenever we release a new episode that kind of thing and you can follow us at the discerning geeks portal you can email us if you have some tech that we just totally missed and you think oh my gosh i can't believe you guys didn't talk about this you can email us at discerning geeks at gmail.com and we'll mention you on our next episode and you can also tweet at us at discerning geeks And that's geeks, not Greeks, um, even though I kind of flubbed that at the beginning.
0: But we we will be making a discerning Greeks. We're not hosting an intergalactic kegger down here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, Oh, yes, we are.
2: Yeah. And so, yeah, and now um, we get to. Spin the wheel of insanity.
0: Wheel of insanity. And find out
2: what our next special topic is going to be. And Todd, give it a spin or dice
0: roll or whatever. Furless cats.
1: Oh. 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 It's a good one. It's a good one. Dave, Uh it's one of yours uh and, and technically it's still movie reviews but you made it a special topic by combining it it's the lord of the Rings trilogy oh Whoa. oh
0: boy and, and this
1: is good because the lord spoiler lord of the Rings trilogy there's some of my favorite movies of all time but despite that it's been forever since i watched them and I've just been looking for an excuse now it'll take forever I'll have to you know reserve a 10 hours in order to get to it. But that's why this is a special topic rather than a straight up movie review. Yes. Uh, so Dave, this was yours. Did you intend this to be something where we really do talk about all three movies at once?
0: Yeah. Okay. You know, it's the, it's the, it's, it is one movie. Technically it is split into three, but it's one movie. And I know that technically there's three books, but it's still one story from the beginning to the end It's one story. Mm -hmm. so yes
2: are are we only doing the movies or are we talking about the books too
0: i don't care it's lord of the rings trilogy (laughs) trilogy as in you want to just talk about the movies fine talk about the movies you want to talk about the books talk about the books
2: andrew have you read the lord of the rings
0: uh you know he hasn't (laughs) what's reading i did read hobbit though that's the prequel Yeah, yeah i know which I don't understand how they can take one book and split it into three parts, but beyond me, they
2: did the Lord of the Rings. I'm excited about that. That's that's I'll have to make me some Bijorn honey cakes and have them
1: ready for the podcast. And,
2: uh, as long as it doesn't interfere with first week.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, are we going to talk about what should Andrew watch?
0: Delta Gamma yep. 5,
1: woo! Yep, and
2: that is how we are going to kind of wrap up this episode.
1: Wait, 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 wait. Are, are, we, are we going to talk about what should Andrew watch? Yes, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's what I was oh, saying. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, that's how we're going to oh, kind of I go. Thought, oh, oh,
1: oh, sorry. No. That's, okay. I thought, you, <laughs> I thought you didn't hear me, and you're like, oh, we're wrapped up. This is, like, no. this is professional, guys.
2: talk about what what Andrew will learn from is how we are going to wrap up this episode
1: I'm a guinea pig
2: now did we end up putting a structure to this like he has to vote or well we didn't but I have
1: an idea for that
2: give it to me so we can the only
1: problem is it involves a, a point system and for the point system that means there's a winner but I don't know what the prize should be but here's what I'm thinking. Long complicated explanation redacted. The gist is that
0: we pick a category and each select something for Andrew to watch or read that he has never experienced before, such as Star Trek. No, seriously, he's never seen any Star Trek before. Just in case we pick duplicates or something he has already seen or isn't willing to watch or read, we come prepared with three ranked choices, but the hope is that he picks the first choice per co-host. He goes off to watch or read what we three suggest, and we reconvene at a later date to see what he liked best. As for a point system or making a game out of it, that might need more discussion, or may just get scrapped.
2: Is there a way to pause the recording, Doug? To... And with that, we have decided, and Andrew, your first...
1: What, what did we call this segment? What does Andrew need to know? Oh my goodness, I forgot about that because we haven't decided that yet. It's like
0: Jeopardy, okay? His first category is TV premieres or sci-fi premieres.
1: It's either what should Andrew watch or what would Andrew like. It's one of those two, or at least those are the two I thought of when I came up with this idea. What would Andrew watch? What should Andrew watch? I like that. And
2: yes, our first category for Andrew is tv premieres so we're just gonna make him watch the first episode of some tv shows see if any of those hook him and so we can expand his knowledge in the world of this crazy discerning geeks world that we live andrew
0: in. greek madman that's me
2: there you go are you excited andrew you get to be the the, the focus of this episode when we hear it
0: i always wanted to be the center of attention
2: all right so with that we're gonna call this episode a wrap and we'll let you guys know when that special episode of what andrew need to watch
0: what do you mean you'll let them know you're gonna text them We'll post
2: it. Yeah, we'll post it and we'll talk about it on our future episodes so that they'll know exactly when that episode will air and what we have picked out for you for your special episode. And so with that we're gonna call this a done deal, and I hope that you guys out there remember to continue to do whatever makes you a discerning geek.
0: Delta Gamma Phi, intergalactic kager, security's gonna be tight. Get wasted before you get there.
1: Thank you for listening.
0: You mean discerning Greek? Whatever makes you a discerning Greek. Delta Gamma Phi.
2: Get it, Doesn't like Greek salad.